The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount is intense, seriously, and we've got it right here today, starting right here, the Sermon on the Mount. It will mess with you. I'm serious. I mean, it messes with me. It totally messes with me all the time, you know? Like, as much as I think that I've worked my way through my fundamentalist, evangelical, performance guilt stuff, as much as I think I've, like, matured, you know, and put it aside or exercised this feeling or this, like, compulsion in the narrow, marrow of my bones that I need to be good. No, not good. Like, better. Yeah. Like, I need to be a really, really, really good person if there's any hope for me at all. I think that I have convinced myself of the fact that the will to rightness and righteousness was never actually nestled down in my brain stem. But however much I think that this radical grace has cleansed me, there's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount comes and whips my head back around and says, think again. You know, think again. This Sermon on the Mount, you know what it should be called? Jesus's list of stuff I don't do. I don't need that. I mean, come on. Well, you know, so Jesus sees this crowd and he goes up on the mountain, sits down and begins to preach and teach, saying, see, that's a nice, simple beginning, right? A simple enough beginning. But then he goes on for three chapters. Three chapters of stuff that I'm not doing. 111 verses of stuff I am not doing. Nowhere else in any other gospel does Jesus talk so much. Like Matthew just has him going on and on and on about everything. Everything. He starts out with the Beatitudes, right? These blessed bees. And I start reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I kind of revert to some younger Pelagian-leaning version of myself. Like everything Jesus says goes on this checklist, you know? This checklist of things I better be doing. And I read the Sermon on the Mount with that checklist in my hand. Like everything Jesus says, it's on this checklist, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I don't even really know what that means, you know? I mean, I know Luke says, blessed are the poor, and I know that I'm not poor like when I compare myself to everybody else in the world, and so it's probably not a big logical leap for me to say I'm probably not poor in spirit either. So, kingdom of heaven? Not mine. Not for me. Uh Uh-uh. Not mine. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Good. I like that. Not me, though. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek? I don't really even understand meek. I don't know meek, you know? I'm not, like, I'm not made that way. I'm not meekish. I don't have it in me. Therefore, I will not be inheriting the earth. Which, you know what? Frankly, that's fine with me. You know? I mean, I have a lot to do already, you know? So if I inherit the earth, that's just like, you know, come on, that's a lot of responsibility. The meek can have it. Yeah, no, it just goes on and on like this. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. You're merciful, you'll receive mercy. You're pure in heart, you'll see God. You're a peacemaker, you get called a child of God. Oh, and this next part, I love it. If you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you will receive the kingdom of heaven. If people revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus, you should be happy because you get a reward in heaven. When am I ever going to be persecuted? And for, like, being, doing what's right? I mean, I suppose it could be sort of like a whistleblower scenario or something. I don't know, but it's unlikely. So, I don't get the kingdom of heaven. I don't get to see God. I'm not going to be called a child of God, and I receive no rewards in heaven. This makes me feel kind of bad. I mean, come on! Sorry about that. I guess I kind of had to get it out of my system. All that talking I was doing and like sort of posturing like I'm some kind of stand-up comedian. Like a Mitch Hedberg. You know, or more likely I'm probably more like Rodney Dangerfield. I don't know. But I don't know. I just, you know, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem true. I think I was just kind of going for the easy joke. You know? Or maybe it's just an easy way of dismissing a really complicated portion of scripture. Go, ah, you know. <laughs> then I don't have to take it seriously if I can make it somehow seem ridiculous. But this is not ridiculous. This Sermon on the Mount, it has a very long and complex history of interpretation. And it basically breaks two ways. One major thread says that the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel. That the content, these three chapters, the content of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that is the content of the gospel. That's the message that Jesus came to proclaim. Three chapters of how we should live. And it's practicable. That's the word they use. It's practicable. One can actually live according to the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. You can even go beyond the law of Moses, not only practicing the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. You can do it. You can not only be a pacifist in your actions, you can be a pacifist in every thought and feeling that you have. 
I mean, not, I will not, I can, it's possible for me not only to refrain from murdering someone, it's actually possible for me not to hate somebody, never to feel or think an angry thought. The other thread in the history of interpretation says that it is definitely not practicable. Not at all. It is not possible to live out the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount for anyone. I mean, that, in fact, is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's because it becomes this law, a law in the way that St. Paul talks about it. It is what reveals God's grace to us. It's a set of impossible teachings that convicts us of our inability to do any damn good. So we must depend solely and completely on the grace of God given through Jesus the Christ. Pelagius, this British monk and certified excommunicated heretic, responded strongly to the not practicable position, saying, God has indeed given commandments which can be fulfilled. Otherwise, God would be the originator of sin. So, even though putting the tree of knowledge in the garden and telling Adam and Eve, whatever you do, don't eat of this fruit, was kind of a jerky thing for God to do, Adam and Eve still could have resisted. They could have stayed in the garden and lived sin-free. That is certainly a popular view of sin in the law, although it's not a very astute observation of humanity. Whether or not the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount can be practiced or not, there's really not a lot of examples of success in that area. People have tried, of course, to live out the Sermon on the Mount, to follow every part of it. Most famously, Leo Tolstoy, and it drove him insane. He was tortured by his inability, or what he thought of as his unwillingness, to practice what was preached there. At the end of his life, when he finally found the strength, as he thought of it, to leave his wife and his family and dedicate himself to living out the Sermon on the Mount completely, he packed his stuff, he went to the train station, and collapsed and died shortly after. Some critics think that it was the fact that Leo Tolstoy was insane that made him even attempt to live out the Sermon on the Mount. But to only weigh the practicability or the non-practicability of the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is to miss something, miss something really important. It misses the radical beauty of this articulation of a counter-narrative, a proposal of another way to live life, claiming that the poor, weak, meek, mourners, and persecuted are blessed? That was not a common understanding of the order of culture in first century Palestine under Roman rule or 21st century American capitalist culture. I like Jesus' proposal of another way, much more than a narrative of our dominant culture where the poor and the destitute are suspect, where only money means power, where blessing, despite what might be said about good health and family, where blessing is measured 
by material wealth, where even good health is the product of money. I like that the gospel says, those who mourn will be comforted, where the meek inherit the earth. I mean, you don't see it a lot, but I like it. That doesn't mean, though, because you don't see it a lot, that I'm going to give myself over completely to the story of our dominant culture. I'm throwing in my lot with Jesus and the gospel, his gospel of peace and love and gratitude and meekness and weakness. Is the Sermon on the Mount practicable? Or is it an impossibility that turns us to the grace of God? I'm going to choose both. I invite you now to come and participate with me in this unlikely way.